0: I said to him, by the way, I'm on BBC Breakfast TV, I'm on national TV tomorrow morning, and he said, doing what? And I said, I'm going to publicly forgive the terrorist who killed Martin. Why would you do that? And I said, because anger breeds anger and hate breeds hate. If there's one person who built this city in the months and years
1: following 22nd of May 2017, it's Vegan Murray. Vegan's son, Martin Het was one of the 22 people killed in the Manchester Arena bombing five years ago. She, along with many other Mancunians, chose to not look back in anger. Vegan changed career to study counter-terrorism and is now a peace promoter, campaigner, and public speaker. Vegan has been campaigning to have Martin's Law enacted, a Protect Duty Bill, which you'll hear explained in our conversation. And since Vegan and I spoke, the bill has been proposed in the Queen's Speech and will be put to the Houses of Commons, which is a huge step forward in the campaign. I wanted to bring this to you because, like every union, I remember that night so clearly and gathering for the vigil by the Town Hall the next day. What really comes through in this conversation, as you'll hear, are Fegan's values of compassion and the message of forgiveness. And that's something she hopes everyone can reflect on five years on. Fegan, thank you so much for joining me on We Built the City.
0: Thank you so much for having me on this
1: podcast. It's really a pleasure. So you're an adopted Greater Mancunian, um, uh-huh. born in Istanbul and yeah. then moved with your family to Germany when you were very young, at the age of two, that's it? Yeah. And then came to Manchester 23 years later where you've um, brought up your family and it's an honour to have you on We Built This City. A lot of people have asked me if I would be able to speak to you and I'm so glad that you said that you would do that. And it's particularly poignant as we're just coming up to the fifth anniversary of the Manchester Arena attack where we lost 22 souls. I've including your son Martin so I really appreciate the time you're giving us today and the work that you're doing which we you know want to talk to you about if you don't mind are you happy to talk about how that night and the first few days how was that for you and your family
0: yeah I remember it incredibly well unfortunately so that was just an ordinary Monday when it happened and I honestly assumed Martin was at home getting ready and excited about his trip to America that he was meant to go to on the Wednesday, the 24th. Um, I was meant to take him to the airport at 11 o'clock. And on the Monday, I had been working from home. I was a psychotherapist, had lots of clients that day, but I didn't feel 100% that day, so I felt a bit under the weather. And I said to my husband, I want to have an early night tonight, catch up on some sleep. So I went to bed at 10.00. And I must have fallen asleep more or less instantly. Um, And at the time of the attack, there were only two of my five kids still living at home. My youngest daughter, who was at the time 16, and my 19-year-old, who was uh, studying at university, an undergraduate course. Both girls were in their bedroom, one revising for her GCSEs, the other one getting an art exhibition ready for uni. And um, my husband was downstairs watching news, doing paperwork, etc., So I must have fallen asleep more or less straight away and um, woke up. I'm a light sleeper. I woke up because my 19-year-old had my phone in her hand. And I said, what are you doing with my phone? And she said, I'm sorry I woke you, Mum. I'm just going to check if Martin left you a message or tried to ring you. And I said, why? Is he not at home? And she said, no, they've gone to a gig, him and his friends, and something happened and they got separated and they're looking for him now they're all out together, but Martin's nowhere to be found. And they're worried about him. And I said, so where have they gone? Uh, where did they go? And um, she said, oh, they went to see Ariana Grande, who I didn't know who she was, mm. to be honest. But she said, they've gone to the arena to this concert and there's been an incidence. So I said, what do you mean, incidence? And she said, oh, mum, there's there's been an explosion. She was a bit reluctant to say the word, but she did. And... As soon as she said that word I panicked and I literally ran behind her, almost flew down the stairs and my husband was just about to come to bed himself and was stood by the TV about to switch off but he was watching the news flash with all the people running and screaming, that was always on the news and I pointed at the TV and said Martin's there and his mates can't find him, I hope he's okay and he said... Fegan, that place holds over twenty thousand people. You know what he's like. He always leaves concerts early. He'll be in the gay village buying drinks for his mates. Don't worry. And I said, but he's not answering his phone. And he said, you know what he's like. He'll be out of juice. Don't worry. Once he's charged his phone tomorrow, he'll ring you, and you'll have a laugh about it. Anyway, um, I've got work tomorrow. I'm going to go to bed now. Uh, I'm tired. And he went to bed. And my daughter and I obviously stayed up because his friends were, by that time, really frantically worried and already started going round hospitals uh, looking for Martin. Obviously, we didn't appreciate that the place was full of ambulances and sirens and there was lots of panic and chaos, and they were in it. So we communicated with them, and so the attack happened twenty two thirty one probably about 17 minutes past 11, something like that, um, I had the, the weirdest feeling in the pit of my stomach. It was a literal physical feeling, and I went, oh, and Louise said, what? And I said, I can't feel him anymore. And I said, it's really weird. There's nothingness. And I said, it feels like he's not even on the planet anymore. He's dead. He's gone. And she was upset, clearly, and she said, Mom, and I said, honestly, Louise, I have no sense of him whatsoever. He's gone. And obviously, I remember one of his friends, Lana, winking us, crying, and I said to her, Lana, you may need to prepare yourself for the fact that he's dead, which obviously upset the poor girl even more, I hadn't realized. But that was just so real for me. So the following morning, we um, went to the Etihad Stadium because there was a message very early on TV saying, if you need information or support, go to the Etihad Stadium. So so we went. And um, gradually, more and more of Martin's friends came there and family came and my ex-husband and his wife came. So we all sat together, about 25, 30 of us. And then that evening, at about quarter to 10 that evening, we were, people were, families one by one were called into a side room and then they emerged 10 minutes later in tears. So we knew they had bad news. And towards the end of the evening, there were only two families left. And we were then called in next and had the bad news. So. It's so hard to hear as
1: a mum. Did you immediately feel anger? Because you've turned all of that into empathy and compassion and kindness, haven't you? Have you done that?
0: I often get asked about anger uh, right from the moment it happened till now. I have no sense of anger whatsoever. Uh, And people find that hard to believe. The only... In fact, I remember going to the GP a few weeks after... And obviously he knew what happened and he said, are you feeling, he said, I need to ask you, are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling suicidal? And I said, no, I'm not depressed and I'm not suicidal at all. I've got family to look after. But I said, the only emotion I have, and that still remains to this day, the only emotion that occasionally overwhelms me is sadness. That's all it is, sadness, incredible sadness. Um... Never depression, never anxiety, or anything like that. Just an overwhelming sense of sadness, mm. and as you say you know you're
1: a psychotherapist, do you feel that maybe that was the path you were supposed to take in a way that you spent so many years helping other people? Did it equip you or prepare you in some way
0: undoubtedly um so i 'm not religious, but I think on some level, I see myself spiritual mm. as spiritual. And I feel that looking back now, it's a wonderful thing, hindsight, isn't it? But I think the universe made me study 26 years ago to actually prepare me Mm. for what happened and to cope with that. um, And helping other people was almost a byproduct of that. Mm. Absolutely. And... You
1: decided to stop practising, didn't you, shortly afterwards? Yeah,
0: when I was at the Etihad Stadium waiting for news, I was looking at my family and Martin's friends and all the other families in the room and pondering and pondering and I thought, yeah, that's my career down the chute. I cannot continue working as a therapist. I knew there and then. And um, I remember when I rang the professional uh, umbrella organisation that I was a member of, um, I spoke to them and I said I need to step down from my profession and they said to me just carry on um, you know just Mm -hmm. let's have a three year sabbatical Mm -hmm. that's the maximum we can give you but carry on keeping your practice um, but just don't see clients but they said in three years time you'll feel different and I said to them it was an hour's phone call and spoke to two different people I said to them, look, I'm a broken person. I, I I am not fixable. I won't be fixed in three years. This has, has broken me. So I don't think it's ethical for me to continue practicing. And, and I genuinely still feel that because I cannot now, in all honesty, see people with um, major issues that they come with me to me or people you know, the next client could bring me a fairly minor issue, Mm. I couldn't, in all honesty now, give them the same level of empathy Mm. deep down. And part of me would now think with some of the smaller issues people bring, for God's sake, you're still alive, get on with your life. And as long as that is there somewhere in my brain, I don't think it's ethical for me to work with clients. That's such integrity
1: because it was your identity as well wasn't it that career Absolutely
0: mm. it was yeah it was I didn't just lose Martin I lost my whole yeah. professional part of my life And how was it for you to support your family did you feel that
1: again were you did you find the skills that you'd learnt as a as a psychotherapist helped you with your family because that's when you're in so much grief you have to be you're a, a mum aren't you to four more children
0: yeah, certainly the skills I learned through my training and throughout my training in my, my career, really, because you continuously have to work on yourself as a therapist and, and keep yourself emotionally healthy. Mm. So all that training I had throughout my career has really helped me be resilient and strong enough to continue function. And also, actually, to be honest, not tapping into anger mm. has helped me stay resilient and strong Um and to and help me cope to bring up my family and be okay in myself, really. Mm. You said when we spoke before, you know, hate fuels hate, anger fuels anger, doesn't it? Totally. Mm. I, uh, three days after the attack, I mean, we didn't have the TV on or, or anything because it was so distressing and I didn't want the children to see it. But um, th- somebody kept buying newspapers and putting them, piling them on a pile neatly on the dining room table. And on day three after the attack, I happened to walk past. And I went, oh my God, because the the photo of the uh, terrorist was on the front page of one of the newspapers. And I was shocked at the young age of the guy. It's the first time I saw the person. And it really frightened me that he was only 22 and he could do such a thing. But then just under four weeks later, it was, I remember it was the first morning that I was actually on my own. That was when all my relatives had gone back home. The police had stopped coming. Media left me alone. The kids went back to uni and, and college, and, and my husband went back to work. It's literally the first time I was on my own. So I went over, bought The Guardian, made myself a coffee and thought, just sit down and read a paper. And as I opened the front, the, the paper up, on the front page, Bangsmack in the middle, was a photograph of five men linking arms with a man on the floor. And I thought, oh, what's that? And it it was the photo of a guy, it was describing the Finsbury mosque attack, and it was the photo of uh, Darren Osborne falling on the floor when he tried to run away from the crowd. He'd just hit by a van, I think, and... Um, The imam and four other people from the mosque linked arms instinctively. They didn't have time in all that chaos to discuss, shall we protect him? They just did Mm -hmm. what humanely was the right thing to do. And um, that was absolutely incredible, I thought, that in all that chaos, the imam and these men did the right thing. And the imam said to the crowd, who were clearly trying to catch the guy, they were angry with him, he held them back. He said, you do not punish this guy that way. He will get his punishment, but we'll do it the proper channels. All day long, I've been thinking and thinking about the two pictures. And by the time my husband came home, I said to him, by the way, I'm on BBC Breakfast TV. I'm on national TV tomorrow morning. And he said, doing what? And I said, I'm going to publicly forgive the terrorist who killed Martin. Why would you do that? And I said, because... Anger breeds anger and hate breeds hate. And I feel that Islamophobia has gone up by 300% in Manchester since the attack. Something has to be done and I feel that as a mother of somebody who's been killed at the arena, I feel that I should go and publicly forgive him. I'm not angry with him and I feel that somebody needs to break the cycle of hate. Mm. And I, my mother, I want to do that. I want to be that person. That's just, it's absolutely incredible. And if you go back
1: to, you know, the couple of days after the attack, think about everybody in Manchester came together, didn't they? And I remember being in St. Ann's Square with the flowers and the balloons and one lone voice started to sing Don't Look Back in Anger. And there was obviously, there was a huge amount of anger and, you know, we'd lost our own. Mm-hmm. But there also, there seemed so much beauty in the city at the time as well, ironically.
0: Yeah, it was quite incredible the way the Mancunians Mancunians got together. But I think, do you know, the arena is one of those places in Manchester that every one of us has been there at one point or another. And um, it was in the heart of the city where the attack happened. And I feel a lot of people in Manchester felt it was an attack against their city and they felt very protective, and they took it personal. And quite rightly so. Obviously, the terrorist didn't care who he killed. He didn't single anybody out. He just wanted to cause maximum damage. And there was this outrage, but there was also this determination of the people in Manchester to say, we're not going to let hate divide us. We're not going to let hate win. We're going to turn this round." And obviously, the Manchester Bee became a big symbol in all of this. I've had mm. one uh, tattooed at the age of 56. I had a tattoo done. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of tattoos, but here it's I am. Beautiful. You know, And Kate, our <laughs> producer, got one. She went <laughs> at the same time and got Excellent. one, didn't you? <laughs> but, you know, it, it was so important. And now when you go into Manchester, there are bees mm. everywhere you look. You know, mm. you can't avoid them, really. Mm. But that's, that was this solidarity that came up from the people of Manchester, which was absolutely heartwarming and, and so comforting. It did help you. Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being outside in the vigil outside the town hall, which was just really so moving. And I, you know, did feel very proud to be a union. so obviously i know how important values are to you and it's clear that a huge value is forgiveness mm. and forgiveness is must be with you every single day having gone through what you've gone through how do you get to that place
0: to me forgiveness is really really important because it's it enables me not to internalize any emotions of anger or anything it's like a, a, a safety screen against any negative feelings but also forgiveness has enabled me literally to stay in control of my life and continue to function as a mum as a grandma as a wife as a sister all these roles are played in my life without that forgiveness I would have been so absorbed in in all the negative and sad feelings I mean don't get me wrong I'm very sad mm-hmm. But forgiveness always keeps me with my head above the water, mm. you know. So, it's kind of giving you some some freedom. From it that. it ha- mm. it's it's freed my mm. my soul almost. Yeah. You know, it's been so. Um, it, it is just important because I think if you don't forgive, all I can imagine is a, a sense of heaviness, mm. and I don't have that. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. You
1: don't look like you have that at all. Just talking about that then, that your willingness and your desire to forgive, and you're saying that you, when you saw the terrorist, he was such a young man, you've gone on, haven't you, to try and break that cycle of hate? So
0: tell me about that work that you're doing. Well, the first year we couldn't do... I couldn't... Personally, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally grieving um, the first year. I was numb. I was sort of possibly quite often in cloud cuckoo land. I had cook and I'd forget putting stuff on the cooker and burn pans left right and center my, my brain was just not functioning however for some odd reason the day after the first anniversary I remember saying to my husband I feel the anniversary is over I feel I can breathe again today I think the time's come I do some work and uh, I want to go into schools and talk to young people about radicalization and um, that's when I started approaching schools because I feel I feel prevention has to be better than cure. Mm. And because this man was so young, I don't believe he was born as a terrorist. And I always feel that, you know, when people do that sort of thing at these young ages, something must have persuaded, somebody must have persuaded them. And therefore, I find it a no-brainer, really, that, that young people need to be forewarned because forewarned is forearmed, isn't it? So I go to schools now, and I mean, yesterday I was at a school talking to about 800 children. I feel that what what I'm trying to teach the children, obviously, I talk to them about the importance of values, Mm -hmm. of kindness, etc. But I also talk to them about, look, on social media, on the internet, on all platforms, you can imagine, there are people who try to persuade you to do bad things so you need to watch them and these are the tactics they use they try to groom you similar to sexual predators they use the same tactics they don't necessarily say hey I'm a terrorist recruiter come and join us they are much more subtle than that they may still talk to young people about fashion pop music football anything really that interests young people and gradually they befriend them Then they'll try and find a chink in their armour, and that's when they're in. And that's when the radicalisation really happens then. But um, I explain to the children how they can recognise in themselves and others signs of radicalisation, because there are telltale signs in people, because people change when they get radicalised. And they know what to look out for by the end of the talk, but they also know what to do and how to get help. Yeah. if they feel either they themselves or others are in danger mm. and and that is so important that message had you found
1: in the work that you've done that some young people have been exposed to that did you i've been able to identify any early cases of it
0: right so um that would be for me a measure of success that mm. uh, even if it, it takes me 10 15 years if a school rings me afterwards and says after your talk one child came forward and said they need support Then that would be the the pinnacle of achievement for me. But to me, it's a very difficult thing to measure anyway. However, I always ask the children, and it's quite incredible to watch the teachers' reactions because they're quite surprised sometimes. I always say to the children, How many of you play online games? Most hands go up. Then I say, How many of you play with headphones? Most hands go up. Then I say, How many of you play with headphones? and play against people you've never met, most hands go up. And then I say, and how many of you talk to these people about stuff that's not necessarily related to, say, the game you're playing on and you, you give private information and a lot of them lift their hand and and they are the ones, and I say you are the ones who are at most at risk from these people because when you start giving private information about yourself, you could easily let slip out that you're vulnerable. Mm. Either you're being bullied at school or there may be issues at home or you may have low self-esteem. Anything they can find, they'll be in there. It's such important work, isn't mm. it? And and it's not never been done before you started to do this. Well, I'm hoping I get through to some children yeah. and they're a little bit more careful yeah. online.
1: And you told me, I mean, just the impact of going in and talking about Compassion and empathy mm-hmm. and kindness, and as you say, the prevention. Getting if people are kind and young children understand how to respect their friends and they understand what bullying means, you're changing people's lives. At an early age, you're hopefully just setting on a and a course where they do have great values in life.
0: Well, actually, um, my talk's usually in three parts. The first part is about Martin and what happened, and who else has died, and the impact of what happened. The second part is about values and the third is about uh, online radicalization. So when I talk to them about values, uh, on my PowerPoint, there is literally a a globe held up by different colored children's hands. And I always start that section with, I want to start by profusely apologizing as a grown-up for having turned the world in such a mess. We grown-ups are guilty of it, all of us participated in contributed to this uh, the state of the world be that the environment be that politics be that all the conflict all over the world we grown-ups have created that however I always say like that picture behind me you are the generation who have literally got the world the future of the world in your hands you are the people who can effect change you can make things better and The most important way to do that is by looking at your values and values seem to have gone out of the window for a lot of us and they need to come back. And I say things like kindness, forgiveness, tolerance, empathy, compassion, peace, love, all those, loyalty, all those values are really important. One of the most important ones is kindness. There's a saying on the internet by somebody called Martin Kornfeld. And he says, if we all did one daily random act of kindness a day, we may just set the world in the right direction. Mm. And to me, that is so true. Mm. If everybody was just that little bit kinder, we'd just be in a better place. Mm. We'd be in better shape. But uh, there seems to be, I always say to the children, we live in such a fast world, digital world. Nobody seems to have time for one another anymore. And and that one nice gesture you do could make all the difference. Mm -hmm. And because they are young people, I always give the example of um, something I experienced in London a few months ago. So I was uh, going to a conference and I was the first person, I was the the keynote speaker, I had to open the conference. I was on the right street, I could not find the building because I don't know London very well. I was so panic stricken, I was very close to tears and I couldn't even function. And this young teenage girl walked up the stairs and looked at me, and she, her smile, she just erupted into this big smile. And she looked right at me and gave me this beautiful smile. Mm. And you know what? All my anxiety just literally melted away. Mm. This girl just doesn't even realize. Oh, no. That kindness she did, with yeah. she did an act of kindness without knowing it. So even a smile mm-hmm. can change the perspective for another person, mm-hmm. can make all that difference. My, my panic went, and I just thought, for goodness sake, go and ask somebody. I didn't even, because I was so distressed, I didn't even think of asking. Mm. And she made that possible, you know. So for me, every single one of us can do that yeah. on a daily basis.
1: So true. And it's easy to do, isn't yeah. it? We don't have to do the yeah. big things necessarily. It's Ex- exactly. Things. Ever
0: since I was a child, I remember as a little child even, I had this daily bet with myself saying you need to be do one act of kindness and and uh, sometimes I'm sat in the car when I let another car in I literally say aloud <laughs> tick and that's my tick for the day. So but it's satisfying, yeah. it's a little game of play, but it's it's good. I like it. But you're right,
1: if everybody had said that, we'd have a very different world. Obviously, we've spoken before, I mean, values and the way we show up in the world is so important to me and and to the way I live my life. We don't always get it right. We have a value which is admit it, fix it, move on. Yep. Which is not a cop-out, but it means we we are not going to be able to live into our values every single day. But if you are aware of what they are and, and how important they are to you, when you don't show up against them, you can often better um, the outcome anyway by learning from from what you've not got quite right.
0: Of course, yeah, we all make mistakes, mm. and, and it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. We need to be kind to ourselves mm. about that. Yeah, I feel that's
1: in a way was your approach with um, the terrorist. You've you know you've forgiven and allowed yourself, I suppose, to move on to some degree.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, exactly. I think to move on is really important because, um, you know, anger and hate keep you really stuck. Mm. They they stop. It's like treacle. Mm. You're stood in an emotional state with those negative emotions that make you not able to move forward and, and that's never healthy.
1: And you turned it into, obviously, some extremely positive and impactful work. I mean, the story you tell me, about one of the schools the kids came in in a completely different mindset the next day
0: yeah um, that was really interesting yeah so I went to a big high school and uh, I had a year 8 group and the teacher said to me oh can we just apologise before you start this next session this is a particularly tricky year group there's there's fights and arguments every day and it's highly likely that your session is going to be disrupted so apologise in advance if they don't behave and first of all, they listened. Every single one of them. There was not a, a sound out of them. They listened, and the teachers afterwards said they were very surprised that they also, even the most disruptive kids, listened and asked questions as well. Uh, we were even more surprised that. But um, that that evening, I got an email of the teacher who called me into the school, and she said I wanted you to know um, that not only very surprised that year eights were so well behaved however we also wanted to let you know that the whole atmosphere of the school changed that afternoon because I came in at 8 40 in the morning did my the, the big assembly and she said there was no fight on the playground no argument in the dining room there was just a completely serene atmosphere at school and we put that down to the talk you did amazing so, that, that was nice to hear. <laughs> that's fantastic feedback
1: And tell me about Ubuntu.
0: Ubuntu, yeah. So um, when Martin died, there was a a gentleman called Emlyn Pierce who um, came up with the hashtag Be More Martin. That was very, very early on. And they even did radio programs about... What do you do to do hashtag be more Martin? So they had phone ins even uh, and everybody was saying hashtag be more Martin is really powerful for them because it basically means live your life and live, you know, live it now in the moment. Don't wait. And that that was Martin's life, the way he led his life anyway. But this woman about a few months after Martin died contacted me. I didn't know her. And she said, well, you don't know me, but I vaguely knew Martin and heard that he died. And, and I heard about the hashtag Be more Martin And I decided to do exactly that. I was being more Martin. I decided to quit my job and move to the Gambia, which was always something I wanted to do. And she said, I'm sending you these photos to show you that um, I've had a boat commissioned in his name. Oh, and one side of the boat so she sent me eight, nine pictures from literally planks of wood to the different stages of the boat being built and and the final photos the la- final two were the painted boat beautiful coloured one side hashtag be more Martin and the other side Ubuntu you know, they always say you shouldn't make assumptions. <laughs> and I made the assumption, foolishly, that Ubuntu is the name of the town she moved to. I didn't even bother checking, which I should have <laughs> to. However, last November, Emlyn Pierce and I, my husband and I, the three of us, have been communicating for ages on Facebook, on the internet, social media. But we never had the time to meet. Somehow it didn't materialise. However, last November... We met him in Charlton in a cafe, and we said, ''Oh, yeah, Hashtag Be More Martin. Gosh, hasn't that been wonderful?'' And I said, ''Oh, I need to show you this boat. There's a boat in, in the Gambia called Hashtag Be More Martin.'' And as I showed him the photos, he went, oh, ''Ubuntu. Oh, my God, Ubuntu.'' And Stuart and I both looked at each other saying, ''What? What do you mean? What about it?'' And he said, ''Oh, gosh, do you not know what Ubuntu means?'' And we said no. Now this chap's from South Africa. And he said, Ubuntu is an African philosophy. It means I am because you are. And um, um I said, so what exactly does that mean? And he said, that means values such as we all depend on each other as a human species. We can't live without without each other. Uh, it means peace, it means kindness, loyalty, compassion, empathy, all of that. It means all those values. And do you know what? Three years ago, <laughs> I wanted to name our house because all the houses on our streets have names mm-hmm. apart from our our house. So we've been looking for a, a house name, but I wanted a name that actually represents my value base. And people made loads of suggestions, nothing quite fitted. As soon as he explained what Ubuntu means, I turned to my husband and I said, well, Stuart, I think we found the name for our house. <laughs> and he said, yeah, sounds like it. So wow. um, two weeks ago, I had the official agreement from the council that it's now called Ubuntu. Nice. So I'm still ordering the sign. I haven't done it yet, but... Yeah, so Perfect. my house is very proudly called Ubuntu now. Oh, well, we're
1: sitting in your house and it feels it's absolutely fitting. It's got it's a wonderful Thank energy you. in this house. I didn't know that about the boat. How incredible.
0: It's incredible, but I have a now on my school presentations, I tell the young children about Ubuntu wow. and I have a picture of the boat on my PowerPoint. It's
1: amazing that she's changed her life because of your son.
0: It's amazing, isn't
1: it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, I was going to talk to you about Be More Martin because... I mean, we kind of knew Martin because of he was in the PR world and Damien who worked with us was friends with him. So he was known as a character and lover of life. And that hashtag absolutely just captured the imagination of the Greater Manchester and beyond, didn't it? I mean yes. and it, it created such a a movement and he was as big and in, in life after life and yeah, and we are so proud that we have won an award in his name for this podcast, which is um, and it melt so much to Damien as well because he put that award in. So we're very proud to have to have that award. That
0: really warms my heart to hear
1: that. <laughs> Thank you. It's, but it is so important <laughs> to us. So talk to me about. You went on to do um, an MA in counterterrorism because yes. you said that. I think did you go to a another event after that attack and couldn't believe how little. Uh, security there was
0: yeah well the way martin's law came up. Well, that's about martin's law so there's two elements okay. so the course. Uh, let me talk about the masters first mm-hmm. so the reason why i did the masters is after martin died i realized i knew nothing mm. about terrorism not because i'm an ignorant person but it was just simply not on my radar mm. and when i used to watch the news and saw terrorist attacks on the news you know people supporting each other Mm. crying and I used to look at the pictures unfolding on TV getting upset and thinking oh those poor people but then it became too uncomfortable because it wasn't really in the UK and it was school shootings in America and it's not that I'm not compassionate enough but my life was so busy and I would think that isn't relevant to us if that happens abroad anyway kids what do you want for tea shall we watch the chase instead And I changed the subject and forgot about it again. Because to me, terrorist attacks happened in America with the school shootings, with their domestic terrorism. And it happened in places like Nice and Paris and London, not in my little world, up here in the the north of England. And then we became the news, and that was a big, big Mm. shock and wake-up call, obviously. But then it dawned on me how... I knew nothing about it. I didn't know what terrorists were, what they want, who they are, why they do it. And I had all these questions suddenly. I also wanted to know what the world is doing about terrorism, if it's going to likely go away or continue. I had so many questions. And then I, by that time, I'd already started my school talks. But I also talk often at universities and colleges. And this university um, called me in to do a talk to their counterterrorism students And I had two groups and in between I was in the staff room and I said to the the, the tutors, I said, God, your students are so lucky. There are so many things I want to know about terrorism and I I bet they learn about all that. And he said, well, what sort of questions do you have? So I talked to him about it. And whilst I was talking to one of the tutors, the other one printed something off and then stuck it in my hand. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, yes. I said, these are all the things I want to learn about. These are all the questions I have. And they looked at each other and they said, well, why don't you just do the course? (laughs) And the next September, that September, I enrolled and uh, had all my questions and much more beyond answered. That's incredible. That was really important. But simultaneously, I also started campaigning for Martin's Mm -hmm. Law, and that was literally, so the first year we were in Cloud Cuckoo landing grieving anyway. The second year on Father's Day, some of my kids bought my husband some concert tickets for one of his favorite singers. Um, won't name her, she's not my cup of tea, don't want to embarrass her, <laughs> okay. but he, my husband loves her. So off we went early December to Manchester properly for the first time in an evening. And I remember getting ready and taking my tiniest handbag to make the bug search easy and um, uh, went to Manchester got there my husband took his wallet out got his tickets out we walked in and nobody even looked at our entry tickets never mind security so we sat in the concert listening to the songs and I, I burst out crying and he looked at me he said it's the songs isn't it and I said I'm not even listening to the concert sorry why are you crying then because there was no security, nobody checked my bag. It's not right, anyone could have walked in. And so that was early December 2019, and I I chewed over this heavily over Christmas and New Year and did a bit of research, realized that actually from my research that menus, security at venues is only a recommendation, it's not a legal requirement. And I thought, this just can't be, not after what happened in Manchester. This has to change. And by the, towards February, I started a public, uh, a government petition. I didn't go the change.org route. I went the government petition route because I wanted the government's support. And government petitions run for six months and then they finish. Um, And um, my petition, with lots and lots and lots, incredibly much, Prompting on Twitter Um, Slowly within the six months Crawled up to 23,500 signatures Now that may sound a lot to some people But it actually isn't Because halfway through my petition Two other ones Sprung up from nowhere And they overtook me By the hundreds of thousands in, In two, three weeks time Never mind six months And one of them was Bring back the Jeremy Kyle show The other one was people struggling, sucking up milkshake with paper straws, and they wanted a petition for bringing back plastic straws for McDonald's. And they they were the two petitions I was competing against. And whilst some people, when I tell them that story, they say, that's incredible, or they laugh about it, that's ridiculous, they say. Yeah, it is laughable and ridiculous. But on the serious side, it made me stand back and realise that actually the general public haven't got a clue... About security they haven't got a clue that they're actually not safe when they go to concerts or football matches or anywhere else because there's no legal requirement to for them to be kept safe and any security that might be out there may be okay or good if a venue is very conscientious or it could be hardly negligible so um, but as a general public we don't know that Mm. And the other day, I was, funny enough, at a school, and there was a um, a 12-year-old boy when I said, public safety is only a recommendation. It's not normally what I talk to the children about, but the tutors, the teacher asked me about Martin's Law, so I explained it. And this 12-year-old boy suddenly lifts his hand and says, that's incredible. I can't believe that is not a thing that's not right and that's a 12 year old boy saying that but there we are that's that's what it is so martin's law is now at a point where i am in the final stages of meeting with government Uh, i have another zoom call a team's call this week to update me about where the legislation is it's going to become legislation very soon they're just finalizing the final points
1: And what will that mean when that becomes legislation?
0: Yeah, it will mean that at venues, at any place where a large crowd can gather, Mm. be that a pop concert festival, a big restaurant, a huge big cafe or pubs, um, nightclubs, anything like that, there has to be security by law. Mm.
1: Which will protect and it will there'll be enough knowledge in that venue to also to warrant like an early warning for a terrorist yes, attack.
0: Absolutely. It will obviously not stop all terrorist attacks. Yeah. Terrorists are people who will find other opportunities. Mm-hmm. But we are by doing that, we are reducing massively the amount of targets mm-hmm. that are attractive to mm-hmm. these people. It's so true. You know, you say you just don't give
1: it a second thought, you go into a, a football yeah. stadium or mm-hmm. you go into a A music venue or a shopping centre you don't give it a a minute's thought and despite those terrorist attacks that we've seen we've all seen um in the uk and globally Mm -hmm. we carry on as normal don't we and and don't give it another thought what do you think is the value of the community and you know what can just normal people do i suppose to make us safer
0: yeah i think that there is somebody in the house of lords uh, called sir uh, lord toby harris and he did a paper for the City of London, for the Mayor of London. Uh, he does a lot of work on creating a resilient nation. He wants the population generally to be more resilient to floods and the pandemic and also terrorism. He wants people to be more robust. The problem with terrorism is that uh, in 2014, things began to change. And uh, obviously, the Internet doesn't help because uh, information can be disseminated so fast now and you can learn to do bad mm-hmm. things online. Yeah. But unfortunately, since 2014, the, there has been the emergence of lone actors um, who get radicalised in their bedroom, who may be totally under the radar of the police or the intelligence services or counter-terrorism. They get self-radicalised and then go out and do it. And the methods terrorists use... Are simpler. Not everybody straps a bomb mm-hmm. on their back or their front and goes and, and, and detonates it. Methods are now using knives, machetes, um, using vehicles. There'll be drone attacks in the future. There'll be, you know, there could be attacks on our water supply. There could be all sorts. So we need to be more resilient as a nation to be uh, sort of more aware of our surroundings. We need to not think this will not happen to me Mm. because that's what I did. That's the mistake I made. Mm. Um, But we need to sort of just be more aware. For instance, I, because I know about terrorist attacks so much now, I will now not sit in a restaurant unless I can see the door. Uh, I will now not sit in a window seat because... In London, they they killed people in who were sat in restaurants at the window. It's stuff like that, that, that actually, you know, just become more aware. But the general public can do very simple things. They can learn better skills to protect themselves by doing a 45-minute free-of-charge online course that the government has put on that really helps you understand how these people operate and how you can protect yourself. And that is an ACT e-learning program that's on a website, on an app called UK Protect. I recommend that people download that app. It's free. It's called UK Protect, and within that, there is that training program. Um, There's lots of other useful information about how to be in a terrorist attack. During my dissertation, I, I did some research about anxiety levels of people if they know too much about terrorism. And the research found that an informed public, if people know what to do and how to be in a terrorist attack, it actually makes them feel better uh, because panic sets in when you don't know what to do. So information is important. So true. That's incredible, actually. I think that's a really, really good piece
1: of information. And um, I will definitely be looking that up. And you're awarded an OBE in the New Year's Honours list this year, which is amazing. And did you
0: know about that? And how did you feel? <laughs> I feel incredibly honoured, yeah. very, very humbled and touched. Uh, I have no idea who recommended me for that. Embarrassed is maybe the wrong word. I feel a bit um, puzzled as to why anybody would want to give me that award. I'm obviously very positively mm. surprised. Feel really, really honoured but incredibly humbled. Right? <laughs> and you've got no idea who put you forward. I've no idea. And I can't thank people because I don't know who they were. Oh. So it's really awkward, you know, so, um, but it came as a total surprise, yeah. definitely. But
1: it's so clear that your purpose has become what it is now, you know, after another career, hasn't it? It's kind of, do you feel that, that you're driven to educate? Yeah, I educate?
0: mean, you know, I didn't uh, seek out to mm. to develop my life into another career it sort of kind of yeah. happened. But, you know, I, I lost, like you said at the beginning, I lost my professional mm. identity completely. In that one split, mm. split second, the bomb exploded. That that was my career, completely gone. I literally had to reinvent myself from yeah. scratch. And I have no idea where my future goes, but, I, you know, I don't think too far ahead. I just feel there's a job to be done with Martin's Law. There's a job to be done with the young people there's a job to be done to improve security everywhere and those are the things I'm going with and I just take one day at a time. Yeah, that's a good philosophy and obviously you're making such a
1: a massive impact. We're coming up at the moment, are not we just had the Arena Inquiry? There's two more reports, aren't there, that we're waiting to hear around emergency services and then later in the year security services. What are you and the other families hoping that will come from those reports?
0: Well, I can't speak for the other families, but I feel that it's really important that recommendations are made. And I think these reports that happen after inquiries are really, really important Mm -hmm. because they always come up with improvements. And once these improvements are put in place, things will have to obviously in the future get better, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, many mistakes were made. But my my view, again, maybe naively or not, I don't know. I always feel as human beings, um, we've always made mistakes. We're not perfect. And ever since Adam and Eve existed, humans made mistakes. But the reports hopefully will address all of those and improvements will be made in future and I think anybody who works for the emergency services will want to see things improve mm. and make the necessary changes. Mm. The
1: Glade of Lights Memorial has opened this year and for listeners it's between the Manchester Cathedral and School of Music and as we record this it's just been announced that the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge are coming to spend time with the families mm-hmm. aren't they next week I think it is and
0: what does that space mean to you? It's beautiful first of all the memorial in particular I mean we saw it first in December and that was quite bleak at the bleak time of the year mm-hmm. so it didn't look quite so pretty but I went recently and obviously the whole, Hawthorne three in the middle is now had beautiful white blossoms mm-hmm. on it looked absolutely beautiful and there's there were yellow bloom there, there were, it. it was just totally different there was green stuff everywhere so it looked really beautiful the memorial this time and to me that that is such an important place to go not just for the families and and the uh, survivors and and injured but the whole the whole of the population of Manchester really and and I hope that in future um and I said that to the school yesterday I was in I said I hope that in future years you go and take school children to the memorial because future generations must never forget what mm-hmm. happened and that is a good way of reminding mm-hmm young people of that
1: yeah absolutely um well i hope it's a lovely ceremony uh, next Thank week you. and at roland transfer we talk about legacy it's very important to us that we use our platform to put more in than we take out and i know that one of the legacies you see yourself as having is your peace bear project and um, they're in your window we came in yeah. um, so can you tell me
0: about that yeah the bears I've knitted bears the year before martin died i started knitting them because i had a very rare condition i lost my hearing on the left hand side 60 percent of it and of course as a therapist my ears were my working yeah. tools and i always used to say to my clients who were depressed and down get creative it's really good for the soul it'll help you and i thought yeah you better do that yourself get creative So initially I started making uh, vintage hearts with lavender in and stuff. And then I got bored doing that and I thought I need to do something else. So I started knitting bears. And then I did a six months after uh, the year Martin died in the January. I said to Martin, I want to do a therapeutic storybook for adults um, with different mental health issues. And he said, great idea, Mum. I'll help you. I'll help you with the PR And then my oldest son helped me with the IT side of it and we have self-published with the two of them. And it took me six weeks to get the book out. (laughs) But the bears became important to me after Martin died because to me it felt then that they have to be my peace bears because the world is in such bad shape. I want them to spread kindness, love, peace, harmony, all those values that I have. And I send them out all over the world, really. But the peace bears are also there for grown-ups. They've always been meant for grown-ups, because I feel when we grow up, we lose the ability to play. We forget how to play, and the bears are there to bring playfulness back in people's lives. Mm. It's really important to me. I love it. And is it a Jordan bear is doing the rounds? Jordan bears in New York at the moment. <laughs> He's he's in Mallorca on a do. Oh how much fun is that for children? <laughs> my daughter my daughter um one of my daughters is getting married next year and her sister in law to be has her Hendo in Mallorca at the moment. <laughs> so he's there. He's always scrounging free holidays. <laughs> oh my god. I love it. <laughs> and he's actually also doing the ten K run this year with two police ladies. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so much fun. When the kids were at school, they used to have a they used to be given something, a doll or something to take home and go on the travels. It was always fun. And what else do you see as your imprint on Manchester or the world? I mean, what what is you know what do you want to leave behind as a legacy?
0: Certainly Ubuntu, because that encapsulates just everything. But I want, uh, out of all the values, I really want everybody to embrace a habit of. Do one random act of kindness mm. a day, just one, one a day, mm. and say to yourself, "Tick." When you've done it, <laughs> you know I live by that, and I really feel it's so good for me. And it's easy to do, isn't it? It's, it's, not, so, easy not the big it's so easy to okay, do. It's so easy to do. Okay, well,
1: yeah. I'm going to do that, and that's going to be your legacy to me. Thank <laughs> you. So I'm going to ask you some Manchester questions. Okay. So where in Greater Manchester do you go when you want to be inspired or find peace?
0: Actually, exactly where I live now. Yes. <laughs> because that's that's quite peaceful. I lived in a, in a different place in Manchester on a hectic, busy road. And now I live opposite a park and near a lake. And it's so serene. Yeah, it's beautiful here. I'm, I might be a neighbour
1: soon. I'm going a right move <laughs> when I go home. <laughs> And how would you describe Manchester to
0: somebody who hasn't been here? It's a wonderful city. It, it's it's amazing for music and for culture. Mm. Uh, it's got fab museums. It's got a really good nightlife. It's just a fabulous city to be in. And it, There's loads of development, obviously, new bu- buildings being produced and, and built all the time. Mm. And what about the people? The people are wonderful. They're very down to earth. They say it as it is. And, you know, it's, uh, it's the, the Mancunian poet, Tony Walsh, really said we do things differently here. And, and I find mm. that to be true, actually. So true. That poem yeah. was just at the right Absolutely. time for, for yeah. us, wasn't it?
1: I have to ask you, what do you order at the chippy? <laughs> Fish and chips, of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what do you miss most about Manchester when you're away? I don't miss the weather. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, do, do you know, I miss the general atmosphere of yes. Manchester because, you know, particularly at uh, times like Pride mm. um, or the art festival, it, it, there's a real buzz about yeah. the place yeah, in Manchester. So. Yeah. And I think the students contribute to that. It's a student city
1: as well. It really is. And what acts of kindness have you seen Manchester make that have given you hope?
0: Well, the memorial is definitely mm. an act of kindness. They planted trees all around Manchester. Uh, there was a um, the, the memorial in Victoria mm. Station is quite, yes. that just appeared, yeah. you know, and people keep adding to it. And that's lovely. Um, all the bees everywhere. It, it's just, mm. it's just indescribable, really. These things just appear, don't they? It they, feels they like they are just appear. being granted yeah. to the city and no just big appear. fuss is made about yeah. them. Yeah, and I remember that um, uh, in the first year there were trees, uh, olive trees, I think, some trees, mm. they were in, uh, appearing everywhere and, and there were bits of card and pens and string Yes, and people could write nice messages and they've kept them, they you have, know, the yeah. town hall have kept them. I don't know where they all are, but they're being kept in an archive. And when I'm brave enough, I'll go one day and have a look at all of this, but this is not this is too early for me yeah. in my journey of grief. I can't completely not understand. quite ready yet. That was a really beautiful thing. I remember yeah. walking around the city and
1: people were writing notes and putting them on the trees. Yeah. So, thank you so much for joining me thank on you. We Built the City, Fegan. It's been an honour to spend time with you. I really appreciate that. And I really, it's humbling to feel your love for the city and how you've turned um, so much tragedy and grief into love and in Martin's name. And it's wonderful. We need more people like you in our lives. And I know that Greater Manchester's. People will have love and thoughts with you over the next couple of weeks as we come to the the anniversary. And thank you for everything that you're doing and your acts of kindness for the city. Thank you. Thank
0: you so much. Fegan Murray
1: built the city by knitting peace bears and sending them around the world by doing one random act of kindness every day. And by not looking back in anger we built this city we'll be back on the 2nd of june with a jubilee special highlighting the greater mancunians who have committed themselves to serving their communities across greater manchester and beyond if you want to find out more about how roland dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success then head over to rdpr.co.uk or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at rdprtweets or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 25 years on 0161 236 1122 In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We
0: Built This City. Thank you.